Sunday. Thank you for being here as we enter into week two of our series called Edom. This series is based on the book of Obadiah, and we're learning about the prophecy from Obadiah to the nation of Edom. If you missed last week, uh, I wanna, I'll catch you up in just a couple of minutes as to what we talked about. But if you're a guest, man, we, we're so honored that you chose to come today. And if you're watching online at solacechurch.com, one of the things we did, it was the, really the primary focus last week, is helping all of us understand how the nation of Edom came to be. We also studied the, how the nation of Israel came to be, but here's the short version of the story. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob's sons would eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had uh, Esau, Jacob's twin, and the offspring, the children of Esau, would become the Edomite people. And, and I just told you in one minute what took me 30 minutes last week. That, why did it take me so long last week? That's, anyway, that's all we covered, basically, for the entire 30-minute message. Um, but what we learned last week, and the primary takeaway from last week, um, was, was important. Now, let me, get you, let me, let me give you a, a, a geographical map here to help you understand how the, the layout of the land looked before I give you the point. This is the way, and this is the map we showed last time. This is the, this is the, this is the way the nation of, uh, uh, of Israel and Edom are, are, are positioned. Now, this is obviously, this is many, many years ago. But Esau's descendants would have settled here. It was called the land of Seir. This is the kingdom of Edom. And then this is the land here, the blue and the uh, uh, pinkish color, whatever that is, would be in this region. Uh, the kingdom of, of Israel would split after the third king to reign over all of Israel. It was Saul, uh, Saul David, Solomon, then the kingdom of Israel split. The northern kingdom would be called Israel, the southern would be called Judah. So that's the layout of the map. Now you can see the other areas, the king, kingdom of Moab and other uh, kingdoms that existed here on this map. They'll be important in just a couple of minutes. What we learned last week is that all this stuff didn't happen by accident. The establishment of the nation of Israel, the establishment of, of Edom, and, and for that matter, the establishment of any nation, the rising and falling of nations, is on purpose. And it, it's on purpose because of this. God is sovereign And is actively involved in human history. This was the takeaway from last week. God is sovereign and he is actively involved in human history. He is not deistic. That means he's not standing away and watching. He's theistic. He's personal and he is involved. And we can have great confidence in knowing that God is involved in our lives. And he hasn't forgotten about us. He hasn't skipped us. But our story matters to him. He's writing an incredible story. This is what we learned last week. Now, it's important for you to see this, and it's important that we go back there, because it is the baseline for helping us understand what went wrong with the nation of Edom. What led to their eventual ruin? Well, here's a hint. They missed this. They didn't embrace this reality that God is sovereign. Now, I'm going to show you what that looks like over the next couple of minutes in the book of Obadiah. Now, if you have your Bibles or whatever you use to, to look at Scripture, you're welcome to get those out and follow along with me. It'll be on your screen as well. But the, these verses that I'm going to read to you come from the book of Obadiah. Obadiah is a minor prophet. He writes 21 verses, and that's the entire letter, the entire prophecy. What is the prophecy, the word, the, the message from this sovereign God to the nation of Edom? Let's learn today what that is. And so start again with me in verse number one. 
We covered one half of one verse. That's all we covered last week. We're covering nine today. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom, the Edomite people, the nation of Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise and let us go to battle. Or let us go against her for battle. What is the prophecy? Verse number two. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. Why? The pride of your heart has deceived you. If you're writing things down, you highlight in your Bible or underline in your Bible, make sure you get a hold of this. This is so critical. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Verse number five. If these came to you, if robbers in the night... Oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? Now stop for a moment. In the midst of Obadiah unpacking for us what God says to Edom, he inserts this important understanding about the nature of destruction that's coming for the nation of Edom. He says, in a a normal setting, if a thief were to break into your house... The thief would not steal everything that you own. The thief is coming in for a specific specific amount of things or specific items in your house. (laughs) I mean, people get broken into, but rarely have you heard they literally took everything. I mean, that doesn't happen. But what God is saying through Obadiah to Edom is, I'm taking everything. It's all gone. And he uses the illustration about those who would pick grapes. We have a blueberry farm here, and uh, we have people who go and visit that. And and, uh, um, they'll take what they need or what they can afford to purchase, and they'll take them with them. They don't take every single blueberry off. The point is, is that when someone goes to pick grapes, they don't take every single grape on the vines. They get proportionally what they need. But God says to the Edomites, I'm taking it all. Verse number six, he goes on to say, but how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau. And then verse nine, your warriors, O Taman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. These are heavy verses. This is very, very difficult prophecy to come to terms with. Edom is going to be destroyed. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to see what Edom did to to merit this kind of punishment from God. We're going to learn some of that today, but the specific actions next week. And then in conclusion, we're going to learn about the prophecy and how it actually came to be. You're going to see in history exactly what happened to the Edomite people. It's a sad, sad story. But today, let's understand what Obadiah has just revealed to the Edomite people. And let us learn ourselves 
so that we don't repeat the same mistakes. All right, so, so what happens in this story? First of all, let's look at the prophecy. Here's the prophecy, and it's summed up in saying Edom will be utterly destroyed. That's it. That, in a nutshell, that's what's going to happen. Edom is going to be utterly destroyed. But why are they going to be destroyed? Obadiah says it, the pride of their hearts deceived them. The pride of their hearts deceived them, therefore destruction was their end. Now, what is the deal with pride that would cause them to be utterly destroyed? So let's learn what is pride. Now, in the New Bible Dictionary, in the third edition, this is what the definition of pride is. In a biblical sense, it's refusing to depend on God and be subject to him. He goes on to say that pride attributes to self the honor due him. So, so what, is, what is the understanding of pride? What's the problem with the Edomite people? Here's the reality. We learned this last week. God is sovereign. He reigns supreme over all of creation, over all the universe, including human existence. He reigns supreme. What is pride? Pride is setting myself up against the sovereignty of God. It is my agenda, my purposes, my plans, my way, as opposed to God's way. It is elevating man and trying to diminish God in his authority, in his sovereignty. All right, so this is the essence of what pride is. And it's reprehensible in the presence of God. Now, newsflash. When someone, and I know for sure that this is the case because, because many people struggle and wrestle with, 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 with the sin of pride, I being one of those, we struggle with this. But, but this is the nature of pride. Now, now something very interesting. Um, I, I want to I give you a quote. It comes, from, it comes from Paul Tillich. Think about this for a moment. This is the essence of what we're wrestling with. Every day in a thousand ways, I'm tempted to make myself the center of the universe. This is pride. Something you need to know about it, though. When I seek to elevate myself, and we'll talk about practically what that looks like in our lives. When I seek to elevate myself, I, I in, 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 uh, inherently seek to diminish the sovereignty of God. <laughs> Here's the problem. Ready? Even when I try to elevate myself, I do nothing to diminish the sovereignty of God. It's not as though when I am prideful that God says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you, yeah, you can have my seat. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Oh, okay, no, 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 you, you can be in charge. That sounds great to me. I'll just go ahead and step back and you just go for it, right? <laughs> my kids, <laughs> they try this. <clears throat> I, I will give them specific things to do or not do. Specific no, it's not possible that they could not understand. They know specifically, don't do that or do that. It is amazing to watch them just stand in, in complete rebellion against that authority. My daughter, Georgia, is two. She already has this. I will say, Come on, baby, we, 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 we have to go. You have to go over here with me. Just the other day, we were in the parking lot, and her car seat is on the passenger side of my truck. She was on the sidewalk, sidewalk just a few steps in front of me. And I said to Georgia, Georgia, your car seat is over here. Please come with me and, so I can put you in the car seat. And she said, no. <laughs> I 
No. No. She started running out into the parking lot. And I freaked a bit. Because she's two. And she doesn't know what the danger looks like out in the parking lot. And so I ran and I, I'm, I can't tell you exactly what I did. <laughs> Maybe I can. I just yelled at her a moment. Right? I raised my voice. Georgia, get over here. I said, do you need a spanking? Now, for some reason, that worked for her. She came running over, and I put her in the car. It didn't work for my boys. I don't know what the difference is. Every day, in a thousand ways, we try to make ourselves the center of the universe. Now, Now, hear me. In that moment... When Georgia was a few steps in front of me and I told her, gave her a specific command to come on the other side of the car, when she said no, did that stop me from being dad in charge of her? No. What happened was when she set herself up against me, I set myself up against her. <laughs> no, 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 no. You missed, you, you've missed the program announcement. I am daddy. I am your boss. You will come around the car, period. That's the essence of pride. God is sovereign. We are not. When we seek to be sovereign, when we set ourselves up against God, he is not diminished. He sets himself up against that disposition. That is the problem with Edom. Now, what were they proud of? What were they proud of? If you're an English major or an English teacher, please forgive me for the wording. It was easier to say what were they proud of rather than saying of what were they proud, okay? I know it's supposed to be like that. You can't end a sentence in a prepositional phrase. I totally get that. But maybe I just covered my bases there, okay? So of what were they proud? Notice in Scripture what they were proud of. Their geography. Look at verse number 3. This is what God, through Obadiah, says about the nation of Edom. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? In, in, the, in the region of Edom, there was agricultural land for them to farm. There's also a section in Edom that, that, was, that was set about 5,000 feet above sea level. It would, have been, it would have been a well-fortified area. It would have been very hard for any uh, enemy to attack and, 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 and break their, their, their defense lines and their boundaries and their walls. It was set up very, very high. This phrase, quite likely, was exactly what they were saying. Who can bring us down? We're up here on the hill. There's no one that can get to us. Who can bring us down? The problem is they did, they, they, they did not acknowledge that while they thought that they were secure in their geography, God was very capable of penetrating whatever forces or, or, or uh, fortifications they had in this area. God is sovereign. They were not. I want you to think for a moment about this. And I don't know if anyone in the room who battles with pride, and I know most of us at some level make ourselves the center of the universe at some level, but I want you to think about what takes place in the heart of someone who believes their geography is their salvation. Someone who says, I, was in, uh, you know, I live in the right neighborhood, I have the right you know, electric 
date around my property or I was born in the right city or I'm raised in the right state or uh, all these types of things or I live in the right nation. All these things tend to play into the heart and life of an individual who sets himself up against God in terms of geography. That I am in the right location, therefore I am safe. It is a terrible Terrible sense of security. There is no place that we can run from the sovereignty of God. Geography is not our safety net. And when we set ourselves up in that regard, it's eventually going to lead to our ruin. I don't care what neighborhood you live in. I don't care what state you live in. I don't care what nation you live in. It does not matter. When we fail to acknowledge God's rightful place, we are setting ourselves up for destruction. Notice what else happens in the story. Not only were they proud of their geography, they're also proud of their diplomacy. Look in verse number 7. This is what Obadiah realizes. All of your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. Edom was positioned well geographically. They had great agricultural land and they were, they were set high on that, on that cleft, on that rock. And they, they didn't believe that there's anyone that could attack them. Also beyond that, they had very close friends around them. There were other kingdoms that they had made uh, covenant with, uh, covenant, covenants with, compacts with, contracts with, agreements with. They had the right allies surrounding them. And therefore they thought that not only did they have the right geography, but before they ever, anyone ever reached their lands, they had others that would fight their battles for them. And think about this. Sometimes there is a false sense of security based on the relationships that we have. We, we sometimes believe that, you know, if we have the right family, right mom or dad, or the right boss, or the right company, or the right circle of friends, that that's going to insulate us from some kind of calamity. But if the truth is, those things don't insulate us. If we fail to recognize God's rightful place, I don't care who your friends are. I don't care what company you work for. I don't care what your family lineage is. God is sovereign and he sets himself up against that kind of pride. And so I just would encourage you today. I don't know what, what pride looks like for you. But hear me. You don't know all the right people. <laughs> your, your lineage may be wonderful and great. But hear me. It's not insulation against any kind of calamity. What else did they struggle with? What else were they proud of? They were also proud of their philosophy. I want to spend some time on this one. Verse number eight, notice what happens. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau? This must be sarcasm. Men of understanding. All right. If you read the book of Job, Job chapter two, verse 11, it lists out uh, Job's friends, those wise counselors that Job had on his side or by his side as he was going through the worst period of his, li- of his, time, of his life. And one of those listed out, I think, is Eliphaz the Temanite. Taman is in Edom. Eliphaz is called the wisest of Job's counselors. It is very clear and evident in this time that the philosophy of Edom was one that carried weight in the world. They had things figured out. They had a philosophical worldview that everyone envied. They were were the thinkers of the world. And then they thought their intellect, their wisdom, their understanding, their worldview was insulation, would protect them. The wise men of understanding could figure any problems that they had. Could figure out any problems that they had. You see the problem? You fail to recognize God. The wisdom of man becomes foolishness in the sight of a sovereign God. I'm going to spend a moment here. 
I'm going to talk very practically about our lives because here's the truth. You ready? I think this above any others is one that, that gets us in the most trouble. We come to places in our life where we believe that we have figured out enough so that we do not need to lean on the wisdom of God any longer. We, we, we go through this in a lot of different seasons. Teenagers run into this. <laughs> if you have a teenager, you know this. They have figured out life. And they need you, mom and dad, to get out of the way so that they can continue to do what they already know to do. They have set their knowledge up against true wisdom and knowledge, and it costs them greatly. That's why the teenage years are so destructive for people. And it doesn't stop in the 20s. It gets worse. Because you actually leave home. And one of the things that happens in your 20s is that you begin to believe that that independence is your greatest asset. It's actually a terrible burden. (laughs) Where mom and dad was there to insulate you and protect you from some of the dumb things that you did and the dumb things that I did. Now you're out on your own. You're at college. You're in the workplace. And your wisdom is put to the test. And your intellect is put to the test. And if you think you know it all and you've set your wisdom up against God, it will lead to the path of destruction. Let me just give you one case in point. I know this is uncomfortable and awkward. I'm just going to say it though. There are, there are lots of 20s in our society today and teens in our society today that believe that it's okay to give their physical bodies and sex to, to, to another person. They believe the wisdom of God is foolishness. I know God's word calls us not to do that, but what does God know? His book's so outdated, it's irrelevant. We have 20s that live together and, and they believe that for some reason that they can just live together and be engaged, for instance, in sexual activity and act married but not have the covenant and still be okay that's the pathway to ruin and it's not because physically you're in the same house it's because the pattern that exists in that relationship is counter to scripture and it just is going to lead to you set yourself up against god and then he opposes that proudful disposition you know what there's some husbands in the room right now maybe some wives in the room right now you're costing your family you're costing your family you're you're And I'm going to say this about myself. Our so-called wisdom and understanding and ego gets us in so much trouble. We won't listen to our spouse. They speak wisdom into us. We don't listen to it. We don't receive it. We we become calloused and hardened and we become disconnected and it robs us of our relationship. There are some husbands in the room right now. Your ego is costing your marriage greatly. Your wife cannot respect you. Your kids may not be, re- be able to respect you because you have set yourself up as this one who understands and God has set himself up against that and it's costing you greatly. You know what? There may be some business owners or people who lead people uh, in the business workplace and, it, and it's quite possible that your ego, your, your philosophy, your thinking, maybe even your idea of your position, you carry some ego, some pride, some arrogance with that and your employees underneath you are suffering because of of your arrogance because when you believe you are something and you set yourself up against God sets himself up against I could go on and on but here's the deal that's what pride does the Edomites believed that they had this superior wisdom and understanding it was going to cost them greatly lastly we see in the story that the Edomites believed they were proud of rather in their military might. In verse number 9 we see this. This is what uh, Obadiah says. Your warriors, O Taman, will be terrified. And everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Do you see the point? You guys think you're tough? You think you are fortified well? You think you got everything in place? You got all the security in place that you need? Hmm. You forgot one critical part. 
God can have people walk around a city and scream and yell and the walls can come falling down. You've forgotten that God is sovereign. And I know sometimes we tend to think that we can secure ourselves and insulate ourselves with security measures, but all the security measures that you can put in place are not sufficient if God sets himself up against you. Now, I want to take you just for a moment to one verse of Scripture, and I want to unpack this and we're going to be done. Lest we think this is an Old Testament problem with the Edomites, James in, in James chapter 4, verse 6, the second part of this verse, quotes Proverbs chapter 3 when he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The Greek word, I want to read this to you, the Greek word here translated oppose is antitesetai, which was a military term used uh, or military term used of arranging an army in battle against an enemy. Now, just think about this. God opposes the proud. He sets up an enemy. He sets up an army as if he's approaching an enemy. The disposition of pride, God opposes. I love what John Blanchard, author of, uh, of an incredible book uh, called uh, Major Points from Minor Prophets, says about this very dynamic. In opposing the proud, God can deploy every living being in heaven and on earth, every law of physics and every atom in the cosmos, cosmos in any way he chooses to frustrate and humiliate the proud. Think about that for a moment. The sovereignty of God set itself up against you. God opposes the proud. Hear me. The, the, the thing that might be costing you the most today is the arrogance that exists within us all. But God gives grace to the humble. That is, when I recognize him rightfully in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my business, in the workplace, at school, wherever I am, he offers me grace. I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily feel like I want to have a sovereign God see my disposition as the enemy by which he needs to release the full weight of his creation on. I'll pass. I would rather experience the grace of God by humbling myself before him. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solidchurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solidchurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast. 